everybody. This is Ragini Anand speaking to you on the 8th of June 2021. I speak to you from London again. It's a beautiful, bright day, 22 degrees, and everybody's out and about without their coats. It does feel like the summer is finally here. And wherever you are, I hope you too are enjoying comfortable temperatures. So today it is the 13th moon in the Vedic calendar, and it's a Tuesday. 13th moon is always seen as Pradosham, the day when karma can be removed with consciousness can be dissolved by doing certain rituals and typically the rituals that happen in the temples um, of South India mainly is <clears throat> during the twilight zone this period called Adosham just one and a half hours before sunset the twilight zone is really something that signifies a moment in time and space when duality kind of dissolves. <clears throat> it's a period when it's neither night nor day and it's neither bad or good. It's that Advaitic space, the space in time that we can say we're not too sure what this is. It's not of the dual world, it's of the unified world. And it's at that moment when a or hydration ceremonies happen in the south of India. And um, both Nandi and Shiva are um, hydrated with water, whatever, and then revered with you know, garlands, etc. It's, it's such a beautiful ceremony that one can enjoy. It's a ceremony really in that non-dual space, we can say, well, what might it feel like to be Advaitic? What might it feel like to not live in the duality space? What might it feel like to be karmaless? So that's the day we find ourselves uh, meeting this week. And the day also invites Ganesha energy being close to the 14th moon um, and being a Tuesday, Mugan energy and also Hanuman's energy. So it's a day for removing obstacles, bursting negativity and invoking devotion. So all of these things become, con you know, become conscious to us because of the calendar, the Vedic calendar, and we bring it into our consciousness to try and imbibe all of that. So let the magic unfold. So this is our last session together here on this platform, Discord. We have been journeying the eight topics of the Wheel of Life. Today we are discussing the second part of the final topic of careers from the Vedic perspective. Now, last week we saw that careers can be designed for either the being to flourish or for the doing to flourish. And these are two very opposite ends of coins and the Vedic tradition steeps itself in the being culture of careers. The choice you make will very much depend upon your understanding of what is the goal of your life. Now, on this platform, we started our journey some 16, maybe 17 weeks ago to agree that we were all seekers. And if we are seekers, then the 
big question in our life is what is the goal of our life? Where are we going? Who are we? What does it all mean? What is the purpose of life? All these great philosophical questions arise in the mind that is seeking, seeking to go towards the God self. The Vedic culture emphasizes from its inception, from its birth, really, that the goal of life is to achieve a life where you are living enlightenment. You're not pushing your enlightenment to some time in the future space or time. They're saying you've got to start doing it now, living it from the moment you arrive. So your purpose is in life or the reason or the goal for your life is enlightenment. What is that? What is living enlightenment? For those of you who want to um, be curious about it, this is the name of a book written by my guru, the Supreme, Supreme Pontiff of Hinduism, His Divine Holiness, Bhagavan Sri Nityananda Parmashivam. He's written a book which is freely downloadable called Living Enlightenment. And you can you know, walk through that book to kind of understand what living enlightenment and enlightenment might mean. But in terms of career, we said that there are four main pillars, did we not, last week, with respect to career and therefore money. Money and career are kind of closely entwined, aren't they? And we said that if you were to begin to live enlightenment, then <clears throat> the first pillar would be dharma. The careers you choose should be dharmic in their nature. Dharmic meaning that they are aligned to the highest purpose, highest goals of life, the highest values of life, righteous actions. And if we understood what dharma is, what is the fabric of the universe, that defines the values with which we should live. If we were all in agreement of that or with that, then life would just be managed. We wouldn't have to monitor it. Okay. So when you are living a managed life rather than a monitored life, then in some ways you are living dharma because you understood the values of dharma you can only manage if the right values that appeal to your soul and your body and mind and you're deeply instilled in in that in those values then you don't need to monitor it or police it or police actions or wealth or career or relationships. It just naturally happens because it's part of you. Those values or powerful understandings have become part of you. So you, you just manage it, manage your life dynamically. Who's going to teach us those values is the problem, isn't it? And therefore, you need a good guru to imbibe those values in you. Because sadly, as I found in my life, even though my parents were very much from the Vedic culture, they weren't really empowered by a powerful teaching or powerful guru who could tell them that these are the core values of the universe and if you want to live within that fabric of the cosmos and these are the things that you must follow it was kind of a free for all it was just you know ah who cares you know whether we're sustainable or not or whether we are doing the right thing or not or whether we're taking the right career or not as long as we get money and as long as we enjoy ourselves what does it matter very much the yesterday view of life 
today and this moment is definitely dictating a more dharmic way of life. I believe that we are all gathered here to understand where we might have gone wrong, where might we correct the course so that we don't see the sorts of things that unfold in our lives and around us. But the first principle was dharma, wasn't it? And the second principle was artha. In terms of career, then we said last week, earn and design careers to enrich others. Full stop. It's not just about us. It's about enriching others. It begins with our family, and then it and goes on to the society, and then goes on to the town, and then goes on to the country, and so on. It starts from us and spills out. So this is why the Vedic culture you will see that the father and mother more or less slave their, their careers and their lives to enrich their families first, don't they? They look after their children, make sure that the education is good, make sure that you know everything that's needed is there. So this concept of not really just working for ourselves is what we call artha. The third area is karma. And we said that we create wealth and careers that can create more wealth and careers for others. It's like a gift that goes on giving. Keeping the currency current. So you don't hoard your wealth. You keep creating more versions of you that can go on doing what you do. And we said that the fourth thing is if you do all of the above, dharma, artha, and karma, and moksha, which is fulfillment, naturally happens. You feel purnatva. Nothing can be added to your life. And nothing can be taken away when you've done the above, dharma, artha, and karma. You are fulfilled. And therefore, liberation is a natural byproduct. Death happens once you're liberated like this, like a cucumber dropping off from its stem, you know, which is the famous Mrityu mantra of Shiva, um, which is so beautiful. You know, the cucumber just drops off naturally from its stem at the end of its life without any pain and suffering. Mrityunjaya mantra. It's beautiful. There's no conscience that keeps us awake at night. There's no regrets. There's simple, simple rejoicing. A life that's been led well. So you die happily without any regrets, without any clutching to things. You're unclutched, as my guru would say. And that final stage of moksha is so important to enable death in a positive way. Because until then, we're always fearful of death. We're fearful of death because we're not living dharma, artha, and karma. We will never feel liberation. So we saw the types of careers that can shape these experiences of the Vedic culture, making the being blossom rather than the doing to blossom. We've been too involved in the doing. We've become part of a mechanical world, a cog in a system, giving out outputs that can be monetized for somebody and that can keep consumerism going at what cost, at the cost of the being. So those kinds of careers are very yesterday, I think, and they no longer will hold the same, you know, luster as it did in the past. So in short, the Vedic culture instills the powerful cosmic cognitions into any civilization whereby the human values are the cosmic truths are in alignment with nature or dharma. 
And if a civilization can be raised in this way, then we don't need to monitor it with policing and taxing and insuring and banking and educating and doctoring. That word doctoring is, has two meanings, doesn't it? To doctor something. Um, it would be motivating enough and be self-managed itself from inspiration. What is inspiration? Words are beautiful. Being in spirit. In spiration. In spirit. Being in spirit is what inspiration means. Blossoming, blooming, evolving and expanding. Now, it was funny because I was reading a book by Henry Kissinger the other day called The World Order. And I just wanted to kind of understand where the powers and the forces of the world, how they see the world order, the new world order. We all talk about it, but what is it? And the world order that the leaders are trying to force upon the world cannot happen because dharma is not the basis for it. That's, that's what I took away. When dharma is not at the center of an order, then it becomes men-centric, country-centric, you know, culture-centric, and not cosmic-centric. It's disaligned, disharmony, it's like disdain, a lot of noise, <laughs> it's di divisions. So when you look at that book, you know, he sees that China sees the world order from their own perspective. Iran sees the world order from their theocratic perspective. And the US sees world order from the monitoring and monetizing perspective. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to see, well, how will we have a peaceful world order or a new world order? Because the world does suggest the entire world, not just one part of it. But these divisions, it almost feels like an impossible task. Because there's no values the center of it that everybody can say yes these are the right values and they line up to cosmology to dharma the best for the whole the righteous values that we can all abide by and this new world order any careers built on these structures do not allow humans to blossom flourish and live enlightenment it it it's going to be back to policing, you know, taxing, monetizing, doctoring, institutionalizing, everything. So it, it just sounds like anti-life in many ways. So careers, it brings me, this beautifully actually brings me to the concluding all the 16 um, talks that I've done really um, in the eight topics and um, I wanted to cover a beautiful story, a Vedic story which is taken from a satsang by my guru and uh, it, it's a very famous story in the Vedic culture this culture, uh, this uh, story is a happening that happens in a place called Tiruvenumalai in the south of India in Tamil Nadu, which has probably given birth to more enlightened beings than any place on the earth plane, including my own guru who was born there. Tiruvannamalai has a little mount called Arun, Arunachalish, Arunachala, 
It's a mountain around which on a full moon night, people will do circumambulation of the 18 kilometers or so. And I've done it several times. And there is a great significant um, understanding to that story. Now, some of you may know Ramana Maharishi. He was also from Tiruvannamalai. Um, and other saints that, you know, there are many enlightened beings that still live there. Um, so this story anyhow happens in, um, in cosmology and it's a story of the trinity of the Vedic gods, Brahma, Vishnu and Shiva. Brahma is the creator god as we know and Vishnu is the maintainer god. And Shiva is incorrectly labeled as the destroyer god. I don't see that as a correct label for him. Neither does my guru. He says that seeing Shiva as a destroyer is inaccurate. Truly, he is the creator of space for new beings to be birthed. And a better word that might describe Shiva is rejuvenation much better word. So he's the rejuvenator. So one day Brahma challenged the team to determine who amongst them was the most powerful. And the depth of this story never ceases to amaze me. Every time I hear it, I take away something more. Please stay with me. You might have heard it. You might not have heard all the nuances. Brahma, like all creators, they get bored after they have created. You know, you know and I've, I've gone through this in my life. I've created a beautiful, you know, um, interiors or renovated a new house and felt great. And then soon that fades and then you begin to use your intellect to build something more. Brahma is no different. He's created the creation and he's bored and, and he challenges, uh, you know, he thinks, well, let me devise a challenge. So Brahma represents our intellect and any careers built just on intellect alone will behave in this way. Okay. Brahma did putting himself above the most powerful, which is God. So intellect does that. Intellect believes that it's more powerful than God because it's got the ability to invent and create and find out things in science and so on. And Vishnu asserted, look, Brahma, you can't possibly be more powerful than me because unless creation is maintained, creation becomes useless. They were having a little banter and Vishnu represents our body and wealth. You've got intellect on one side and body and mind, body and wealth on the other saying, you know, who amongst us is more powerful? And Shiva being the most simple, always in, in meditation, rarely ever engaging in anything but making everything happen, needs nothing but gives everything, is the world view of him. You know, he doesn't even have, you know, if you look at Vishnu as beautiful, fine gold jewelry and lustrous clothes and, you know, fantastic and settings. Shiva, who's Shiva? He wears Rudraksh, which has no kind of monetary value. It's a seed of a tree. It only has emotional value. He uses, you know, um, ash for his makeup. <laughs> and he lives, he lives, where does he live? He lives in the cemeteries. He leaves nothing. It's a simpleton. He has the called Bolenath, he can give you everything whilst not having anything himself, mysterious. So Shiva, after a while, hearing this banter going on between um, Vishnu and Brahma, decided he would 
set up a competition. So he said, if either of you can find the end of me, my column of light, which is exactly at Arunachaleshwar Mount, said, then it will be clear you are more powerful. So whoever can find the end of my column will be the most powerful. With this Brahma being, oh, this is, you know, he just thought this is a doddle with his intellect. He thought this is can't be impossible. And he flew upwards towards the head of Shiva. And uh, Vishnu being the sort of the gold miner, the, the you know, the, the miner, he decided to start mining the earth and went downwards. And this went on for a number of, you know, yugas. And soon Vishnu got tired in finding so much wealth along the way. He just kept finding wealth and he, he, he insatiated sort of, you know, um, gluttony of wealth that he found and enjoyed. But he suffered at the end of his, you know, he kept digging and he got into what my guru calls the depression of wealth. He can't take any more anymore. He, he just felt, you know, it's like eating too many cakes. So this is enough. This is what happens to all of us at the age of 50. If some of you are not 50 yet. You will see that at the age of 50, when you've achieved everything, you've seen all the things that were combined, you'll just say, I've got tired, bored, like Vishnu did, and give up, and you go seeking God. Okay? This is a really, uh, really parallel to our lives, this story. He came back anyhow, Vishnu came back looking for God and said, I give up, I'm subservient to Shiva, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not the most powerful. And Brahma, he had got bored and tired too, but he wasn't going to admit it. Because he was an intellectual, and intellectuals are extremely convincing sorts. They appeal to your intellect, they convince you. You know, they have the gift of the gab. They can, they can, they can make you believe anything. And Brahma was like that. And even though he was bored, he just kept. He, he thought, well, how is he going to devise something to show that he really does know and he is more powerful? Just then he met a flower that was falling. Brahma asked the flower, where are you coming from? The flower answered, I fell from Shiva's ear where I was placed in worship. Brahma then used his intellect to ask, how long have you been falling? And the flower replied, for three times Brahma's lifespan. Now, Brahma's lifespan is, the lifespan of Brahma is basically between one big bang to another big bang. <laughs> so in terms of numbers of years, you can imagine for three such big bangs, the flower had been falling. Brahma decided then that he could never reach the top he decided he would return to Shiva and lie that he had reached his head. And here is the proof, like all intellectuals convince you with proof, don't they? Look, here's the proof. This is a flower and I can tell you I've been there. And this is what scientists do, don't they? With the Newton's age of the mechanical view of the world, Mechanics was the, the proof that we know, we have understood the entire universe. And then came Einstein said, no, 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 forget that. I'm going to talk about relativity. Relativity is the truth, the real view of the universe. And now that's gone out the window and it's everybody saying quantum mechanics is the real view. You're never going to get to the end of Shiva's column intellect. That is the basic um, understanding of this story. So anyhow, Brahma, you know, knows that, uh, Shiva knows that Brahma is lying. So he curses Brahma. 
and it's not easy for Shiva to curse somebody, but he, by cursing him, he says the intellect is really pathetic. Um, and he, he says, you, you are lying. You will always lie. So tell you what, you will never have a temple and no one will ever worship you. So that, that's a message directly to us from Shiva saying, do not worship your intellect. Do not worship your body and your wealth, isn't it? If you really are going to understand the story in the right light, that is the moral of this story. Neither body or the mind consciousness can, it, you can never reach God. You have to simply resign to God. To reach God consciousness, you've got to merge with it, become one with him. This column of light that people believe is held in Thiruvannamalai. When you circumambulate it, you are transformed. You are saying, I am subservient to you. I want to merge with you. I want to become you. I want to I want to not be limited by my body and my intellectual consciousness. I want to experience the entirety, the infinity, the the everything, my being, my being, which is you, the center of me, is you, and I want a real taste of that. So neither intellect or body money will fulfill you, get you to the end point. You have to devise your life in such a way you surrender to the power of Shiva and live his power. Isn't it? So, in another sense, if you were to look at this story in another way, it is an analogy or an allegory of the idadi, idadi being the intellectual consciousness, and that's active. We are very intellectually conscious. The pingalanadi, which is our body consciousness and when that's at peak very body centric so the two nadis in the vedic tradition um, represents this allegory and the truth is that you need to raise your kundalini go to the to Shumna Nadi, and when that becomes active, neither in the body or the mind, you have merged with Shiva and living life as a being, fully engrossed in your being, being at the center of the whirlwind, not being moved by anything, not being moved either by your intellect or your body, any careers and money-making mechanisms that can keep you there is going to spell living in enlightenment. So that's a beautiful story to have come to towards the end of my talks with you to give you a sort of a deeper flavor the depth of the Vedic culture, its concepts of dharma and artha and kama and moksha, its understanding of the trinity of God and yes, all, all things are needed, the body, the mind. However, the goal of life is not just the body, not just the intellect, the goal of life self-realization that realization can only happen when you've merged surrendered the highest force which is consciousness for our soul whichever way you want to look at it
So we covered eight topics along the way from the victory that was first growth in our first section. We looked at love and romance, we looked at health, we looked at space and environment, we looked at the concept of money, we looked at the differences of the sea in the world when it's to fund and recreation, family and friends. Finally, we looked at careers. We've been together for 16 weeks doing this. We went deep within these life topics to see how the Vedic culture can add value. In some way, though, in my perspective, this enables you having long rouses. But the only culture, in my opinion, that's the know-how to unite all the disparate cultures. The Earth Plane is the oldest culture of, the, of them all. It has had the staying power, so that's something. It's the Vedic culture. Not only has the keys to align us all, all the fighting, dividing parts of the society, it also has the potential to unite us all to the fabric of the universe. We so loosely speak, plead bureaucratically, organic, and sustainable world, and no life, and non violence, and Healing, uniting, and one world order, the new world Vedic culture is the only player in the game, I believe, that brings this together because it aligns with karma. In my opinion, my opinion, it definitely exists more more people in the world needs an end generation of persecution and ridicule and, and, and negation really because just doesn't come up if somebody someone's lying to you would not talk about the subject that they that they want to lie about. And that's what's happened to the Vedic culture, in my opinion. Its time is now. The truth holds all the keys that we need to save the earth and the cosmos. Look, wherever you want to look, look at any leader you want to look at, look at any role models. There aren't any because do not have access to any culture. Be kept from them very deliberately. So I, for one, thank my gurus, which there are many, more significantly, His Divine Holiness having brought me to this understanding, and I recognize their love for all of us. It's not just for those that follow them. What they're teaching is the key for all of us. So even if you're not loving them, they're loving you, whether we believe it or not. They are pro -life. If you're living, then they're pro you. That's the beauty of it. You don't need to make a same song in the dance because they are for all of us. If we ridicule them long, persecute them for too long, and we've said they know nothing, and never given a little space that they deserve, just because body and mind can't be spied by how we look and 
and see a smell video they are obsessed with. That's only our obsession. Just that they have are the true keys that I think will unlock our tomorrows because nothing else on this earth, like, not believe me. Is pointing towards peace and harmony and pro life type of um, you know, scenarios. So, tomorrow is a very interesting day, and this is the power of being in this Vedic space. I notice more and more the synchronicity of things that happen, especially time wise. Tomorrow's the day of great Vedic tradition as we come to the end of our sessions. It's going to be a solar eclipse in the sky. The, when the sun gets eclipsed, has a huge meaning in Vedic tradition. Not just that, it's going to be Saturn's birthday. Saturn's planet that reveals all the life lessons by giving you you don't do it yourself saturn will inflict pain on you till you understand that you have to get away from your undermay path it's the slowest planet in the in the um in, in the solar system it takes its time when it's wielding out its uh, lessons so Saturn is, is, you know, feared by many. I don't fear Saturn, I revere Saturn. Saturn has taught me lessons that I needed to learn, that I wasn't willing to learn myself. When I went through my period of Saturn, when I had to really admit to my complete and utter defeat, like Vishnu and, and uh, Rama does, that's when I became blind and alive. Now I have nothing but thanks for Saturn. And it is said that from tomorrow till the 4th of December, from this eclipse of the sun to the next, we will see much leveling of karma happening on the earth plane. Many life lessons will unfold a period of intense intensity is going to, going to be seen everywhere around us. That's not to fear amongst us because unless we change, change will not happen. And the solution is to go inwards. I'm asking you all to go inwards, to focus on the pain and suffering that's all an illusion go inwards go to your shiva whatever your version is i don't care but that core that column that is beyond column of light which is beyond the body and mind intellect um, body mind intellect whatever you want to call it it's beyond that we know our body is going is nothing we know our intellect is nothing so therefore give up and surrender in the next few months chant the Gayatri Mantra Om Bhur Bhuva Swaha Tat Savitur Varenyam Argo Devasya Dimai Yo Yona Prachodayat This powerful mantra will align you to your central core make you disengage from your body and intellect consciousness and reveal to you where the real power is until you become that power so keep chanting the gayatri mantra please and propitiate saturn how do you propitiate saturn Saturn on his birth, especially offer him sesame oil lamp, you know, with some black sesame seed in it, and chant his mantra. Feeling Om Sanichariyama. Om Sanichariyama. Say 
not let Please guide me to how to easily and effortlessly learn my lesson. Allowing myself to the dharmic principles of the cosmos. That you be made happy. That you don't have to yield your you know, lessons on me. Also, do such an energy which represents mind, which is also um, you know, leading, um, remembering, and also if you do the Gayatri mantra, that is really um, a sun mantra, but you can also uh, separately. As these, as the uh, solar eclipse happens, to align the sun energy, you know, and remembering it, Om Surya Namah, Om Surya Namah, Om Surya Namah. These should be your mantras for the next to now and fourth of December, because of the alignments. Just go inwards and try and do something your soul, for your consciousness, for your inner spirit, and be inspired by your inner spirit, be in spirit, so that nothing going on outside can affect you. Be the center of that whirlwind. The whirlwind is going to happen. That's guaranteed. And it will be happening at an escalated rate. You're going to be centered in your core, remembering all these beautiful lessons we've learned together. Try and remember some of them, maybe revisit them, and you know, see what not I, but what I'm trying to tell you the energies above that are trying to use me as a mechanism to get to you somehow words and feelings and emotions see what that energy was trying to tell you I'm not here to score a point on Vedic is the best way and this and that or you know I don't want any divisions wherever you are getting your honey from revere that if you if you Follow the footsteps of every tradition. Eventually, it will get to some part of the Vedic culture. That is my view. It's the most ancient, unspoken culture that starts with the four Vedas that was given to us at the beginning of time. There can't be another beginning of time. On a axis, X and Y axis, there's only one zero zero on which everything else takes its reference. To me, Vedic culture is zero, comma, zero, comma, zero, comma, zero. Whatever, however many axes you want, whether you're drawing four dimensionally, five dimensionally, six dimensionally, that culture is the reference point can't have a another reference point and what we've all done is we've created another another point in time you know call it n comma t comma p and made that a center and then drawn a circle around it and said Oh, this n comma t comma p is the center of all things. No, it is not, because without that reference to zero zero zero, you have no existence. Simple as that. So, with that, I'm going to take some questions, and then at the end of that, I will take my leave. I have thoroughly enjoyed preparing these sessions for all of us. It's not just for you, it's for all of us. The great thing about it being recorded is that they are there for 
whoever has the time and energy to listen to them. So we've all become part of it. And uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. But let me first take some questions, please. And you can either unmute yourself or post them in your in the events session section. So ours team at Shivakara is aimed for really thank you for an interesting talk. Thank you for being here. And Care Bear is also thanking me with a namaste and some hearts. So I, I thank you back and I'll also give you namaste. And Shivakara at everyone. So sorry for the technical issue. Disjointed format. It was done in a hurry and my first time doing it. Next time will be better. I don't know what that refers to. I don't know if there was a glitch or something in the listening, uh, in the recording. Um, VJWR is saying it was good, refreshed all the topics. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to you. And Ninja saying well done for putting it together, mate. Looking forward to going more in depth. Be good fun. Thank you. And what else is there? Bowie is saying thank you for all your beautiful sessions. They've been truly amazing. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. And I think Floor19 is typing something. Thank you. I hope the channel that you've shared, I'll definitely do the mantras. Thank you for that. And uh, yes, I wish you luck with all your channeling. And spread goodness wherever you go. Rock UZ is saying lots of gratitude to you. A lot of gratitude to you. And if anybody else wants to unmute and speak, do that now. Zen is typing. So I've enjoyed the Discord. Thank Discord. I thank ours team for making it all happen. And um, I'm sure you've enjoyed many other sessions on this, um, on what you know, what ours team is bringing you. Unfortunately, I haven't been partaking in any of those because I have been busy, but I hear good things. Um, and Zen is saying thank you. I have really enjoyed the sessions. What more can't what more can I do to stay grounded every day? What more can I do to stay grounded every day? Yes, Lightsen, that's such a important question you ask how do you stay grounded at a time like this because your energy your mental energy is so scattered everything is vying for your mental energy it's feeding it really we are allowing stuff that's happening to feed our mental space and we are ingesting all sorts of thought waves through the ether, through people we know, through what we are reading, through what we are hearing. And it, it, it is so destabilizing, isn't it? it? How do you stay grounded when your mind is scattered? And thousand pieces, more or less, that's what it feels like. And until the mind can be quiet and allow the brain, the cosmos to reflect its light onto the mind so that we can you know, build our brain again. Our brain can rebuild itself. It needs a year to do so, but it needs a quiet mind to build itself 
with the cosmic truths, how do we stay in silence and grounded for a whole year is a question, isn't it? It's really being able to create the art of just kind of um, saying no to thought waves that are coming your way. Say no, just be like a white gloved policeman who's, who is, you know, um, guiding traffic. Just watch your thoughts coming in and say no, no, no. That's what I do. I try to do. I don't want that. I don't want that. I know it's happening, but it's an illusion. I don't want to know. I just want to reflect the pure light, which is within me. For catching your thoughts, as all masters have told you, is an important thing. Being centered inside you enough and saying, I'm powerful enough to know what I need to know. I don't need the thoughts to be coming in from elsewhere feeding me and guiding me and corrupting me, just say no. And not just say no, send love back out. Okay? Peace, peace to you, peace to you, peace to you, you know, just send it away with peace. That sounds corny and maybe crazy and maybe sort of weird. That's what I would do and then start dancing or singing or painting or just being or just chopping some carrots or making a nice meal going for a nice walk you know enjoying the small things is the important way to get out of this scenario and um really there is no purpose to life it's only the ego that believes that there is a purpose. Just enjoy the small things. Whether it is the sun falling on your cheek, even with your eyes closed, you should be able to feel that sun falling on your cheek. Try and become so attuned with yourself that you can create your inner world in the way you want to sun falling on your cheek or the breeze of your hand moving how that feels or with your eyes closed can you still see a beautiful beach and the lapping of the waves try and do that so i hope that helps light sand just small things and saying no and sending out peace and love is 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 the formula really you please type out the mantras somewhere is this the Gayatri mantra it's quite a long one but you can you can google that I can can type in the name Gayatri mantra and if you google it you'll get the entire or you can um home that's how I say it anyhow. Om Chandraya, which is moon. Om Chandraya Namaha. That's for you, Janitor. Sorry, for Alien Piper. Janitor, this was my first session and it was truly profound. I've had this crazy excitement for the future. Your talk was solid, has solidified it. Good. We are in our in for exciting times, definitely. On a side note, at the purest of happenstance, we have black sesame seeds in our house. <laughs> okay. All right. So tomorrow, please make a little sesame oil lamp and really, with all your all your good feelings, offer it to. Um, the being called Saturn, and uh, just just connect with him in that in that space on his birthday, and uh, yeah, and ask him to teach you lessons in a, a painless way. When you are consciously ready to learn your lessons, it's not going to be painful, is it? It's going to be fun. 
So well done, Janitor, for saying that, Shiva saying. Thank you. I'm glad I got to attend your last session here. It was my first time listening. Something that has been on my mind for a few weeks is past lives. Is it important to find out about that to understand ourselves? About your past lives. Well, it's it, everything that, that you can throw light on is going to be important, isn't it? Because any blind spot that we have needs illuminating so that it doesn't remain a blind spot. With like anything, if you're driving in the dark, you're going to bump into more things. But if you've, if you've got your lights on, it's going to inform you to do whatever you need to do. So if you do find out about your past lives, yes, it will help. And I did a regression on that, on that um, you know, session with somebody here in London. And I must say, I wasn't, I wasn't, um, didn't go out sort of thinking I must do this. You know, if I don't do it, I will, you know, not be able to lead my life properly. But it was just a curiosity as to why is my life the way it is? Because when I arrived here, I was unconscious, right? I, I became unconscious of the past. How do, you, how do I become conscious of the past so that it sheds light to what's happening today? And I did. And so much was unraveled from that session. I understood why I've been married twice, why, you know, I've had these two difficult situations in my life of being, you know, in, in different cultures, you know, being part of one and living in another. But once I got a meaning assigned to it, I began to become free. I thought, ah, some magic in this. There's a reason for me being my life having shaped up the way it has. And I could have a closure on it then. You know, I'm beginning to have a closure knowing all of that because there's only one story of the past that can make sense of the present, if you see what I mean. There are not multiple stories that you can devise to make sense of why things are the way they are. It's like if you were writing or directing a movie, you, you know, whatever scene's happening now, it, it, there can only be one or two things that have happened in the past that can give birth to the current scene. So knowing that then helps you, you know, become informed um, and to have closure on things. So, yeah, from my perspective, it definitely helped. If you can find a good regression um, analysis type of a person, you know, uh, somebody who can help you with that, put you in some kind of a hypnotic state whereby you can go beyond the womb and go beyond the current life. And... Uh, in that space, give some information. Mine was very interesting. I mean, there was definitely not something I could have consciously come up with. And uh, yeah, I hope that helps helps you to, you know, go and do something about that. Past lives are very interesting. So. And what it does, just to conclude, I, I was kind of in two minds, is there a past life or is there not? It definitely in my head concluded that one. It burst that myth in my head. Definitely there is a past life. There was a complete knowing experience. So once you have an experience, it's no longer a belief. It becomes part of you. And it's an empowering thought that there is life before this and life after this, in my view. So with that, unless there are more questions, I really, really, really enjoyed being here with you. And uh, I will wish you a nice day wherever you are. And maybe, um, who knows, our paths will cross in another uh, on another session. Okay, so I look forward 
updating you one way or the other in the future. So I just wish you very happy next few months where you do some inner work. So with that, I'll say goodbye. Thank you.